It's been an anxious year, hasn't it? We have seen forest fires in Australia, forest fires in our own country in the U.S., global pandemic, the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmad Avery, to name a few. Classes being canceled, the threat of classes being canceled, stock markets plummeting and rising and plummeting, businesses closing, so much more. It's been an anxious year. Uh, this year, I've been using um, the feelings wheel a lot. I don't know if you've ever seen this. We use it in our quads. But it's been a helpful tool for processing what's going on inside of my own life, inside my own soul. Every week in quads, we ask students to identify one or two emotions on the wheel and to tell a story behind one of them. And this year in 2020, I felt like I've been couching in fear, uh, experiencing a lot of those nervousness, worry, <laughs> Anxiety sort of emotions. Uh, all of them are kind of in that big pizza slice labeled fear. It's not just me. Uh, Americans uh, as a whole are worried. One of the biggest indicators of this is gun sales. There have been 17 million guns sold in 2020, more than any single year uh, to date. People on the right are buying guns, but people on the left, too. It's not just a right or left thing. Like, everybody is buying guns because everyone's afraid. Kareem Shakya, who's a gun rights advocate and founder of Open Source Defense, was interviewed about this. And he says that the common thread behind these gun sales is uncertainty and, I quote, a feeling of, hey, if nobody else is going to be able to take care of me, I want to be able to take care of myself. What Shakya is describing is worry. Everybody's worried. Human beings have the amazing ability to mentally, stimula- or mentally simulate future events, right? We are able to think ahead. We make plans. And to the extent that it helps us achieve our goals, thinking ahead can be adaptive and beneficial. But worrying is one form of future thinking that doesn't really help us out all that much. It, it's future thinking that leaves us feeling anxious and apprehensive, Problem solving involves evaluating a situation, coming up with concrete steps for dealing with it, and then putting the plan into action. But worrying rarely leads to solutions. No matter how much time you spend dwelling on worst-case scenarios, you're no more prepared to deal with them should they actually happen. It's just kind of a wheel that we run on and just spins and spins and spins. Worrying doesn't work, right? you could say. But we do it, and I do it, and I've done it a lot this year. I remember the first real pang of worry that I felt this year. It was back in March. We had just finished spring break here at UVM. I actually had flown out uh, to Idaho to rendezvous with Megan, who was leading a backcountry ski trip out in, in Idaho. I was in an airport in San Francisco when I got text messages like you got, <laughs> saying that school was canceled and we wouldn't be seeing you all until April. At least that's what we thought. remember flying back to the Northeast with Megan and Willa. We landed in Boston. I remember the drive back to Vermont. Highways were empty, and there were those street signs on the side of the highways that were flashing, like COVID, COVID, warning. And it felt like I was in a zombie movie. 
like driving through this apocalyptic scene. None of the restaurants were open. We were starving. We went to the grocery store, and it had been cleaned out. And I almost started to cry. I, like, I was getting goosebumps in, the, in the, the grocery store. We went home. I cooked maybe beans and rice for my family. As the dad, I'm trying to project calm. But inside, I am really afraid. I never bought a gun. I thought about it, but I never did. But I have asked this question a lot. What now? Like, where do we go from here? Or simply just now what? Now what? When grocery stores were empty and stock markets were plummeting, now what? When classes were canceled in April and then in May, and we weren't sure what was going to happen this fall, now what? Right, on this Wednesday after this election, where all of us hoped that we would have some closure, some like national catharsis, but there's still uncertainty. We don't know who's won. Right, there's still the specter of violence and chaos. Now what? Well, tonight I want to go to Jesus. And I want to take my anxieties and my worries to him. And I want to lay them at his feet. And I invite you to come with me, because I need to go. I want to cry out to God like David does in Psalm 34, which was the first passage that we looked at uh, in this series, 10 Essential Questions. And now what is number nine? We're adding that to one of our essential questions. Now what? Psalm 34, we heard, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. This entire series is predicated on this verse. And it's on this belief that we can go to God with our questions. We can go to God with our anxieties and we can go to him with our fears and he will answer us. He will not leave us in the dark. He has a word for you. And I believe He's spoken it and what Maddie has said. This is a word for us tonight. It's a word for us today, this week, this month, the rest of this year. Here, I believe, is what Jesus wants to say to me and to say to us tonight. He says, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, fortunately, this is not all that Jesus says, right? Saying don't be anxious to someone who's anxious is kind of like saying don't think of a polar bear. And now you can't help but think of one, right? It's not much help. Fortunately, there's more that Jesus says. There's more to this passage. And what he does here in this passage is very helpful, I think. Behind our worry, there really are two things. There's fear of the future, fear of what is uncertain, and then there's some paralysis. It's this feeling that there's nothing that I can do to stop it or to fix it, to get out of it. These two sort of streams sort of flow into one that makes us anxious, makes us worried. And Jesus spoke, I think, to both of these. He speaks to both of these streams. You see, when fear tunnels our vision, he broadens our horizons. And when fear overwhelms us and we feel, we feel powerless, He reminds us of the power we do indeed have. And I need Jesus to call attention to both of those things. 
I need him to sort of break me out of my tunnel vision, and I also need him to empower me, to affirm the agency I have. I need that, and maybe you do too. So let's dive in a little bit deeper here with Matthew 6 and see how Jesus does that. Let's pay attention to what he's trying to say. Jesus, first of all, he broadens our horizons. And he says to a bunch of worriers, starting in verse 26, look at the birds of the air, right? They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's a rhetorical question, okay? He says then in 28, and consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Y'all, when we sense that we are in danger, when we feel anxious and afraid, our sympathetic nervous system kicks in and it triggers a fight or flight response into overdrive. Right? Adrenal glands secrete adrenaline. Blood flows decrease to our brain's frontal lobe, which is responsible for logical thinking and planning. And it, and it, it sends blood to the more animalistic part of our brain, uh, where the amygdala takes over. There's a biochemical sort of reaction that goes on when we're anxious and afraid. Your heart and your breathing rate go up. Your blood pressure increases. And God even designed your pupils to dilate so that you could see the danger more clearly. When worry takes over, it takes over our body, it takes over our brain, and it tunnels our vision. It quite literally tunnels our vision. We can only see that one thing. All that we can see is the threat. And I have felt threatened this year by many things. Right? Tunnel vision for me looks like this. All I can see is what's right here. It's me peering into my phone, constantly checking the news, constantly thumbing down, right, to refresh my feed. It's listening to podcast after podcast and pundit after pundit telling me what the last pundit said, right? Telling me things I already know. I get tunnel vision when I'm anxious and afraid, and I'm glued to this device. I'm glued to my laptop. And Jesus enters in, and he redirects our attention. Verses 26 and 28, where Jesus says, yo, look at the birds of the air, and hey, consider the lilies of the field. This is like Jesus closing my laptop lid down. This is like Jesus taking my cell phone out of my hand and putting it in a basket. These verses is Jesus taking me by the hand and leading me for a walk outside where he says, look up, John, and look around. You see, when we step outside, we are reminded that there is a real world beyond our screens. This happened to me last week. Some senior guys asked if I would take them fishing. And so we went down to the Salmon Hole on Riverside Avenue. We didn't catch anything, but just being down there by the river was restorative. 
Recent rains had increased the river flows, which was bringing landlocked salmon out of Lake Champlain into the river. We didn't catch them, but they were there. And as we stripped streamers through the current, some Canadian geese flew by in a very tight V formation right overhead, honking all the way. Down there by the salmon hole, I was reminded that there are other rhythms going on besides the 24-hour news cycle. There are other rhythms. Salmon working their way upstream. Birds flying south. Being outside, I was reminded that we are surrounded every day by living, breathing things that draw their life and energy from God himself. Right? Outside, I am reintroduced to beauty in order, in wonder. You see, my device has the power, it has the power to suck me in and to make me feel that everything is awful and godless and hopeless. Which is why I need Jesus and I need friends and I need daily and weekly rhythms that help me to put this down and draw me outside. See, when I put this down and I step outside, like when I take fella for our walks around the block and I find raspberries that grow on the fence right there on the corner of Wilson and uh, Mansfield, they're there. <laughs> they just, they're not there now, but they were there a week ago <laughs> until I ate them all. Like when I go for that, that walk around the block, when I spend a day of Sabbath rest off of my device and in the company of friends. When I go fishing or biking or hiking up a mountain, shoot, even when I come here on a Wednesday night, I realize that everything's not all awful. It's not all bad. My world is bigger than the world that's on my phone. I need this reminder, especially when I'm anxious. See, getting outside is an essential rhythm in our spiritual life, without which we will not make it very far on our spiritual journey. But Jesus isn't just saying, yo, get out and get a breath of fresh air. He's instructing us to pay very close attention to the world around us when we're out there. The verbs in this passage are all imperatives. He's not making some suggestions. He's giving commands. He's saying, look, behold, pay attention. Consider, which is like study, think. I was taught as a young Christian, John, don't leave your brain at the box office. But Jesus here is saying, John, don't leave your brain at the back door either. Take it with you. I want you to think. Jesus says, look at the birds, friends. Look at how God cares for them. They don't sow or reap, but they are fed because God feeds them. And then Jesus asks, are you not of more value than they? And I mentioned that's a rhetorical question, but let me answer it for you. You are. The sparrow does not bear God's image, but you do. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when you ran away from home, God sent his son to save you, to find you, even to die for you. So if the sparrow can count on God, you can count on him too. 
Because Jesus loves you. Jesus says too, consider the lilies of the field. If God gives this much attention to grass, think about this. This is what he's talking about. If God gives this much attention to grass, how much more attention does he give to you? How much more are you on his mind? Grass is here today and gone tomorrow. You were made and saved to live with God forever. He's far more attentive to you. See, the antidote to our anxiety involves stepping outside. It involves broadening our horizons. It's not thinking less, it's thinking more. It's not seeing less, it's seeing more. The faith that I'm describing is not a blind faith, but a seeing one. It's not an escapist faith, but a sober-minded one. It's not a daydreaming faith, but a fully awake one. You can call it a new kind of woke. Right? Jesus redirects our attention to God's careful and caring activity in the world. And this care is always experienced in the present tense. We experience God's care in the present tense. God does not say, Jesus doesn't say in this passage, your heavenly father fed the birds. He says your heavenly father feeds them. Jesus doesn't say God clothed the grass. God clothes. God is active and present. He is here and now, and he's doing these things, caring for small things around you. And connect dots. He is active and present, caring for you too. But in order to see it, in order to hear it, in order to taste it, in order to feel it, we gotta put the phone away. We gotta close the laptop lid. We gotta step outside for a little bit. See, when we look to the future and our worried state, all we see is our fears and all we see is our threats. These loom large. The tunnel has the power to magnify the, fret, the threats and exclude everything else. It's kind of like when we were as kids and we had that, that uh, paper towel roll, you know, the leftover cardboard roll, and we looked through it. All we could see is the thing that we're seeing, like in that little circle. Everything else is blocked out, and that's kind of what our worry does. We're trying to look through the future through this tube, and all we can see is the scary thing, and we don't see all these other things that Jesus wants to call attention to. And we don't see God. God does not fit inside this little tube. We're imagining a future without him in it. And that is partly why we're getting so afraid. The things that make us afraid are real and true. But they're not the only things. They're something. They're not everything. This is kind of the first thing that Jesus does for us. He broadens our horizons. He gets us to step outside. But there's another part to our anxiety. Our anxiety is also brought on by uncertainty, but also by these feelings of powerlessness. Right? Our worry leads to a kind of paralysis or listlessness, feelings that I'm helpless or I'm hopeless. 
And that is the impulse that actually makes us want to buy a gun. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless in this uncertain future. So, and no one's going to look out for me. So I got to look out for myself. Well, Jesus challenges this idea. He says, you do actually have someone looking out for you, actually. And what's more, you do have power, more power than you think. You do have some control in this situation. Jesus redirects our attention, but he also affirms our agency. And here's how he does this. Jesus says here at the end of our passage, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, seek is an action word. When we seek something, we're not just looking at something. We're looking for something. We're striving. We're working towards something. And Jesus says what we ought to seek is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That word righteousness could also be translated justice. It's the same word in the Greek. We've talked about this earlier this semester, but the kingdom of God is everything wrong made right. It's a world set to right. So it's really it's synonymous with justice, everything in its right place, doing what it was designed to do. Jesus says, I want you to seek this. I want you to work for this. Make this your chief goal or ambition in your life, actually. Seek this first. It's true that there is much that is well beyond our control. But just because you can't control everything doesn't mean you have control over nothing. Just because you can't control everything doesn't mean you aren't in control of some things. You are. And I think oftentimes our anxiety obliterates that fact. We see the world's problems and we feel overwhelmed and it leads us to passivity. Why bother? Or apathy? Or cynicism? It makes, there's, there's nothing I can do. And Jesus says, that's not true. First of all, right, there's more going on. But secondly, you actually do have control. And I don't want you to throw that away. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his justice starts locally. Before cleaning up the world, how about cleaning up your room? It's a good place to start. Instead of focusing on all the stuff you can't change, how about we start with the things that we can? Have you made peace with your brother, your sister, your mom, or your dad? Are you treating your roommates with dignity and respect? Do you have habits that are destroying your health and well-being? Are you truly shouldering your responsibilities? Have you said what needs to be said to, you, to your friends and to your family members? Are there things that you could do, that you know that you could do, that would make things around you better? Right? Have you cleaned up your life? Have you cleaned up your room? You see, you are not as helpless and hopeless as your worry monster would have you believe. You actually have control over some things. You have a little realm, a little plot of earth, a little sphere of influence that God has entrusted to you. Jesus says, take care of it. Right? Steward that. This actually helps us deal with our anxiety. Right? 
we actually have some things that we can control. I think that's helpful. Not far from where I grew up, I mean, it's about an hour and a half drive, but not far. There are some deep, dark caverns in a town called Luray. The caverns are called Luray Caverns. Go figure. Uh, I used to take field trips there as a kid. Um, and I don't think they do this anymore because I think it freaked people out too much. But when I, I, I do remember this as a kid. I remember that we would get down, way down deep in the caverns, and then somebody would turn the lights off. And it was so dark down there that, like, you could not see your hand, like, right in front of your face. It was the blackest black I've ever experienced. And I have this faint memory, too, of someone, and I think maybe it was the tour guide, reaching into their pocket, which I couldn't see at the time, but they pulled out a lighter and they lit it. And I think my memory serves me right. They, like, lit, like, a little candle. Even if they didn't, just the lighter was sufficient. That single lighter, that single candle illuminated that incredibly dark cavernous space. It didn't fill the entire space, but it was enough light. It defied the darkness and it defined it. It gave it sort of some bounds. It marked it out. This is kind of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not asking you to save the world. He bears that burden so you don't have to. But he does call you and he calls me to keep a candle lit in dark times. The world is not all awful. And you are not as powerless as you think. Let's pray.